In this week's episode, Julie Kratz, inclusive leadership trainer and founder of Next Pivot Point, and I will chat about NASCAR's first out gay driver, flexible work schedules, Lincoln Center, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Julie, will you please introduce yourself? Yay! So thankful to be in this space with these positive vibes. I love the premise of this. And uh, yeah, I have my own DEI training consulting firm focused on workplace inclusion because I believe that all people should feel a sense of belonging and have space to be their best selves in the workplace. So I'm excited to join you and dig in, Bernadette. Thank you so much, Julie. Well, you know, one of the things I wrote about this past week was actually not good vibes at all. But I like to find the positive spin, right? So I wrote about how um, a new study from Boston College and SHRM, that's the Society of Human Resources Management, tells us that 65% of organizations believe that DEI is important, yet about the same percentage are not allocating any resources to DEI. I mean, are you seeing any of that? What are the conversations that you're having like? Yeah, there's there is a disconnect. I know I was um not surprised to see that statistic and there's been so many different statistics shared over the years whether it's the business case for it or the it's, it's important but we're not doing anything, you know, disconnect. And I see that happen inside well-intentioned organizations that are just still so new to this space, you know, the sure. summer of 2020 might have woken them up and they're still trying to do the right thing. What I see and probably the biggest mistake to watch out for is to ebb and flow with DEI opportunistically with a new cycle. That's just so transparent and obvious to your, not just your employees, but to the communities and customers you hope to serve. Like this isn't just a check the box, do the thing, be gone. I'm only here when it benefits me. You know, that's performative allyship. And so really being there, especially when it's not cool, when it's not the news, when it's the harder thing to do, the harder choice to make, this is a long-term game. Like this is not a short-term, uh, certainly I wish we could solve this in the short-term, but it, we're <laughs> centuries of, of work, unfortunately, to undo this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And also I think that uh, people get in their heads about it. You know, at the end of the day, I think that there are a lot of competing priorities and people tend to overthink this. And there are some things that can be done right now that are cost virtually nothing. And you don't need an outside partner or a, a, you don't need to hire someone externally to help you write a more equitable process or 
policy. I mean, that's something that you can do internally and make real structural changes. You might have some folks in your learning and development team who know how to put together a workshop. So there are things that you can meet that can be done internally um, to advance some of this. But you, you know, you and I, we're both external folks. Julie, can you tell me what you're seeing that's actually giving you hope? What are some of your clients? What, what are some of the things that make you feel like, yes, we're on the right path. I have to keep going. Yeah, I think one of the coolest approaches I've seen lately with a long-term client of mine is they do like a DEI snackable approach. And so it's just like bite-sized learning, video, lesson learned. You know, Bernadette, I think of your newsletter and how this could easily be a snackable that at the next team discussion, we're going to pick our favorite, you know, learning from the week. And so one of my clients does something very similar. They have, you know, something on microaggressions that they'll share one week. They'll have a, a tool on belonging that they'll share another week. You know, they kind of dial in on the big hot topics and break them down into, you know, two to five minute snippets. And then it's what's more important is the discussion. Because you and I know we're, we're leading discussions inside organizations a lot about these topics. People need a primer. They, you know. Not everybody's mm-hmm. thinking about DEI all the time like we are, shocker, but <laughs> there's no on and off switch for me. I wish I could turn it off sometimes, but for a lot of people, they're focused on their day job. Like I'm writing code mm-hmm. and then like have a DEI conversation. I gotta think about that. warm me up a little bit. And so I just love this like bite-sized snackable approach. And I, I think obviously tools like y'all have are perfect um, that people can leverage, leverage the great content that's already out there. Yeah, that's a really great idea. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's really smart. I think think it's really smart. And I know that there are some micro learnings available on DEI, but there's also um, stuff that can be done internally that's low cost. Like, for example, I was talking to a company earlier this year that has a safety minute as part of every meeting everywhere in all of the dimensions of their firm. And it's like one minute about safety. And they were looking to do the same thing about DEI, like three minutes in every meeting, some sort of very specific topic, but a micro learning. And I think that that's really, really smart. I I love that snackable approach. Plus it has the consistency factor. And when there's that consistency and that repetition, it reminds folks, it reinforces how important it is. Yeah. It's funny, Bernada. I, um, my first, one of my first corporate jobs was leading safety for an operations <laughs> facility. And I've, I've reflected on this quite often. That was over 20 years ago. I feel like DEI is kind of in a similar space to where safety was back then. It's like, are we really serious about this? Is this just like the, you know, word of the year kind of thing? And it's like, we would say it was the number one priority, but then like, would our actions match that? So I, I think there's a lot to that. Anything else that's important in your business that you would focus on consistency, DEI should be just like that. It should be embedded right there. And it doesn't mean you need to spend days out of the month on DEI, weave it into your daily activities, meet people where they're already at. And so much of it is content and education and a conversation. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get to today's good vibes. We are going to stick stick to 15 minutes exactly today, Julie. So let's get to it. All right. So the first story is about David Geffen Hall at Lincoln Center in New York. Now, Lincoln Center was built on a, a neighborhood 
that was historically uh, occupied by low-income black and brown folks in New York City, and the neighborhood was known as San Juan Hill. Well, when they decided to redesign, completely redesign uh, Geffen Hall at Lincoln Center, they actually did a lot of really cool, equitable things. For example, a lot of the contractors they used were BIPOC-owned businesses. They um, spent a lot of uh, effort training folks in helping new construction workers get union cards. They spent a lot of effort into leadership diversity and increasing the percentage of BIPOC and women in their leadership team. And the debut concert, I mean, that's, these are just a few of the things. The debut concert is called was called San Juan Hill, a pay-as-you-can-what-you-can concert. And the music was really a tribute to that old neighborhood. So, you know, they did it. They, Lincoln Center, they got it wrong the first time years ago when they built it. And now they are trying to make it right. Hmm. What I love about that story is there's kind of a redemptive piece to it as, hey, we screwed up in the past, but that doesn't, don't write us off for forever. Uh, we can, I, I, I think about this all the time and the, the work we do, it's like, people are going to stumble and bumble. They will make mistakes. Organizations will make mistakes. People will make mistakes. There's no perfect way to show up in this conversation. Um, so I love that, that it's like, hey, uh, we didn't get it right, but we're back again. We're not going to be canceled out. And then all the equitable pieces of that journey, how it was very holistic as well. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just, we're going to, again, do the one thing to have diverse representation. We're going to make sure we have an inclusive environment. I love the sliding pay scale, by the way, just for a lot of different things. We could create more equity if we really thought intentionally about how much people could invest in services and did that sliding scale more often. Absolutely. It's just about making this more accessible. I think everything about this story is really about equity and equity is, is giving everyone a fair shot and making sure that everyone has equal access considering where they've come from. So I absolutely love this story. All right. The next story comes from NASCAR. You're kind of in NASCAR country there in Indianapolis, Julie. Well, now the first, for the first time ever, there is an out gay man who has participated in a NASCAR race. His name is Zach Heron, and he made his debut this past Friday. I should have checked to see how he did in time for the story, but it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. That's a huge deal. Well, I was floored when I saw that, Bernadette. One, I was kind of in disbelief that this is the first out person in NASCAR, but then you think about... Yeah, the fan base is more traditional. And yes, full disclaimer, I live in central Indiana. <laughs> do have car racing. It's more indie car racing, but I can relate to the demographic. And um, yeah, the fan base tends to be a little bit more uh, traditional conservative. So it's super cool to see somebody feel safe, right? To feel safe to come out in a space that hasn't traditionally accepted people like that. And I think what we'll find is there's probably a ton of other people that identify that way. Like, so this in the NFL when the first, you know, gay player came out, it just opens the door for others. So I love that. I hope this paves the way for, for others to feel included. Because it's contagious, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> hopefully the acceptance is contagious for that. <laughs> All right. Next story comes from uh, is about ESG performance. We have a new data that says that 73 percent of the S&P 500 companies now tie executive compensation to environmental, social and governance goals. And DEI is part of that in the social pillar. So this is really significant. It doesn't necessarily say how that core, how that connection is made. But again, accountability, I think, is really important here. It makes things stick. 
Yep. Yeah, I think one one trend I'm seeing this is on point with that with the S pillar, you know, hopefully being DEI in that not to over acronym people, but um, having key performance indicators on performance reviews tied to diversity, equity, inclusion, especially for people leaders. So a lot of organizations I'm supporting. So we're going into review time, goal setting time, whatever your calendar year looks like um, to have that conversation about what are your goals to get better at diversity, equity, inclusion. And so holding everyone accountable for their, probably their learning for sure, but also how they're, you know, representing how, what their teams are comprised of, how are they making promotion decisions, hiring decisions, all these systemic pieces. Um, When you wrap in a key performance indicator around diversity, equity, inclusion, suddenly you have people like really taking note of the importance of it because it's tied to my performance and compensation. So again, just like anything else in business that was important, we would measure what matters. And absolutely. And uh, I think it's great that they are incentivized to have some skin in the game. All right. Last stories this week are about workplace flexibility. So there's a company called Quick that said a four-day work week. They saw job applications increase by 230%. Unilever's new four-day work week in New Zealand was such a success. They're expanding it to Australia. And Hilton is now allowing hourly frontline workers to work at multiple locations, even across the country, even within the same day or the same week. It's just amazing about the flexible options that are we're starting to see more of. I think it's a super inspiring. Yeah, Hilton, Hilton's really been an ind- industry leader in this space. I love that idea of like, you probably have a bunch of different hotels around either Hilton brand. Why not pick a shift for the one you know, the time and location that works best for you that probably benefits Hilton just as much as the employees as well. Um, but we know that marginalized groups, flexibility is a huge driver of their employee employer decision. And employees are in more control than employers still right now in a tight labor market. So it's just smart business to have a flexible work environment that's going to attract folks with disabilities, folks that are caregivers, folks in marginalized communities that, you know, might just benefit more from that flexibility. And we know, you know, the McKinsey Women in the Workplace report that, you know, just had the new data come out a couple of weeks ago, that was the biggest driver for women and especially women of color was flexibility. So if you want a diverse workforce, do better <laughs> uh, with flexibility. And the four-day work week, we're going to try it out actually at our organization next year. There's so much data that supports how much more productive folks are. So I'm excited to give it a whirl. Um, it's going to be a mindset change for me, but one that I'm excited about personally. That's excellent. I love that. I love that. Good for you, Julie. Walking the talk there. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. Thank you all for watching and listening. And if you don't already subscribe to the Five Things Newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. And Julie, how can folks find you? Easy, nextpivotpoint.com. So check us out. Um, I'd love, we've got um, a road mapping tool up on our website right now that you can download. So for those of you who are thinking about strategy and what's next and next year, uh, great free resource, uh, nextpivotpoint.com. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Julie. Thank you everyone for joining us and have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI 